What is up, guys? It is DJ Stash here again, aka Jesse, aka the host of the motherfucking podcast. And today's episode will be episode number 16 on Topics on the Pod. Now, uh, this episode, we're going to be continuing off of the Top 100 Anime Series. It's going to be the, I'm going to be calling it the Top 100 Anime Series Part 2. Hopefully, this, uh, this will be the end of the part, because but on, on the first episode, it was kind of longer than I anticipated of reading off of those uh, info on each episode of the cartoons and anime, whatever you want to call it. But I like to be informed because some of those, like, I read off, I didn't even, you know, some of those shows I didn't know existed. And it helps for uh, new viewers like y'all to see if y'all are interested in the the cartoon itself or the series itself. No, y'all want to check it out. But yeah, guys, I'm just sitting here in my luster's apartment in Central Texas. Just uh, drinking here in my... Uh, Broken Skull Margarita, thanks to uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin. I don't know if y'all some out there like a big WWF fan, whatever. But uh, he he has a podcast as well, and uh, he recently dropped like a how to make his margarita like last month, whatever, and it's not got around to it. But he's always been talking about it ever since he had like uh, his ranch back in Tilden, Texas. But now he uh, sold that ranch and now got it. Now he's got like, a ranch in uh, Nevada, I believe. But anyway, he uh, broke down how to make this uh, margarita, and then I did a video about it. I'm about to I'll probably uh, post that video later today on my YouTube channel. You can te- check that out at DJ Stash if you want to see a video on how actually how to do the video. Because so far, I haven't seen him uh, post anything about it. I actually had to do it or anything. He's supposed to put it on his Instagram, but he hadn't done it yet. So after I uh, do this podcast, upload that video, upload a few other videos from my YouTube channel, and then I'm going to message him and say, hey, man. Look at this stone cold Steve Austin. You got your, I got your uh, margarita mix on video. I think I'm the first one to do it as well because I try to look it up on video on YouTube and I haven't seen anyone else make it ever since he did the podcast. So we'll see how it is. I want to take a sip here of it. I'll give you all one thing though. It is really strong. If you love tequila and or liqueur, that's the way to go. All right, guys. As you know, you've been following my podcast. We know we're going to do some news topics, and then I'll get on to the main topic of the Top 100 anime series. See what's going on today. I just seen, uh, it's not all on Google Google News right now, but I was watching this earlier. I was, I was uh, messing around on the computer before I uh, did this micro remix. I was watching like the, the new rocket from the SpaceX just launched in space. Looks like it's got successful. That just happened like this is now two fifteen right now, December eighth on this Saturday, which I told you I was going to do the part two. So currently, this happened like an hour ago in my time. So look, everything was successful on there. So that was good for the SpaceX. I don't know if I can uh, see it on here. This is. I keep looking about uh, news. Like it just talks about Trump, 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 Trump. Like, Jesus, man. Like, there's more news about than this fucking Donald Trump. Let's see this world news. Hmm. No. All right, we'll go back to top stories. There was something I want to read off the top stories. It was, uh, <laughs> some of your marijuana hit potheads, like, uh, myself. When I. It says, uh, five hot new careers created by marijuana legalization. This is by uh, CNBC Today. Take a look at it. It says, uh, by 20... Oh, this for this fucking pop-up. 
Man, that's why I gotta get rid of these ad blockers, man. But then some of these websites have been pretty getting pretty smart about it. Get it back on here. Let's pull it back up. Alright, let's see. Probably get shut off again. But yeah, it says uh, by 2020, the 8.5 billion U.S. marijuana industry is expecting to create 250,000 new jobs, according to new uh, Frontier data. In 2017, the number of jobs posted for opening in the marijuana industry increased by 445%, outpacing tech 254%, and healthcare 70%, according to Zip Recruiter. Wow. Fast growing new careers driven by marijuana legalization, including or included director of uh, cultivation, bud tender, dispensary manager, director of extraction, and trimmer. Yeah, mainly the top. Uh, I, know, well, I was looking around because I wait. For, you know, as soon as Texas is legalized, man, I'm gonna try. I'm gonna hop on that train. That's something I'll be passionate about. But mainly, like bud bud tenders, like trimmers, like a basically start out pay or start out position, and they still pay pretty good. <sighs> but it was our our articles as uh, six years ago. Recreational marijuana use was illegal in all 50 states and had been for nearly a century. Following the 2018 midterm elections, anyone over 21 will soon be allowed to legally consume marijuana in 10 states plus the District of Columbia. Overall, 33 states in the past 22 years have passed some form of marijuana legalization from medical to recreational use. Despite the ever-present federal threat, the Drug Enforcement Administration still considers marijuana a banned substance and former Attorney General Jeff Sessions threatened a crackdown. The 8.5 billion U.S. marijuana industry seemed poised to grow as rapidly as the law will allow it. And it's nearly jobs just as quickly. By 2020, the industry is expected to create 250,000 new jobs, according to New Frontier Data, an industry research firm in 2017. The new uh, the number of job posts for openings of the marijuana industry increased. Yeah, that's what we're just saying on the top of the headline. It said 445% outpacing tech, 254% in healthcare, and 70% according to zip career. But it says that the industry is in search of workers across the spectrum from accounting to compli- compliances, customer service, sales, technology, and more. As the industry grows, so to do the opportunities, California, Colorado, and Washington currently have the greatest demand for workers, but that can shift as legalization spreads. Through the total number of marijuana jobs are still far smaller than those other much older industries. Uh, they include several positions that didn't exist prior to legalization, offering Enterprising workers the opportunity to get in on the ground floor of entry or an entirely new career. Because legalization has come state by state, there is no single associate or, or governing body offering a license, training, or certification. Workers looking to enter the industry will need to do a bit of research to find out their specific state requirements. But newcomers don't necessarily need an encyclopedia exoc- nature of weed culture to succeed in the industry. In fact, Karrison Humstein, Humstein, CEO and founder of recruiting firm Vexit, said she decided to start her firm, which specializes in the cannabis industry, after discovering the breadth of talent required by entrepreneurs attending a 2015 industry convention. When I asked people what positions they were hiring for, it was everything from a uh, bonitist to a chemical engineer to a PhD to a retail store manager to a marketing manager to a human resource manager to a CFO, she said, you name it, and these companies were hiring for it. Though some may hesitate to join the industry selling a drug that's still banned by federal law, everyday workers have little to fear, said Megan or Morgan Fox, media 
Relations Director of the National Cannabis Industry Association. We haven't seen any U.S. attorneys make an effort to crack down businesses that are compliant with state law. Even though the former Attorney General gave them correct Blanche to do so, he said referring to Sessions, even someone is just an employee of a company, I would think there is pretty much no risk. <clears throat> and they're saying here are the five fast-growing new careers driven by marijuana legalization. Salary data is clean, gleaned from the 2018 Vags of Salary Guide in most cases. The salary raises are unusually broad due to the industry's youth and rapid expansion. So I'll just read the top five, and then I'm going to get to the uh, last couple of news, and then get to the uh, the main topic. Uh, basically, the top five is director of cultivation, bud tender. Oh, I'll read the uh, pay for us. This is wow. For the first job, this says average national salary for a qualified person was eighty-eight to two hundred fifty. $1,500. Damn. That's balling. Bud Tender is saying average national range for quality positions, thirteen twenty-five to 16 per hour. See, that's that's pretty good. But I mean, usually that's, you know, where's that? You know, Colorado, at least like Colorado, Washington, and uh, California. I mean, it's already pretty expensive there enough. But I mean, if it was like that for here in Texas for like that, like you'd be, you know, making pretty pretty good money. You'd be living for sure. You're not, you won't be scrapping for money. And the next one is the dispensary manager. Uh, the average national salary range for qualified freshmen is fifty-six to ninety-eight thousand. And next one is director of extractions. As average national salary for, for uh, qualified freshmen seventy-two to one hundred and ninety-one thousand. Wow, I gotta read that one because I'm hundred interested in that one. It says legal marijuana is sold in a uh, dizzying variety of form, including gummies, vaping oil, candies, location or lotions, teas, pills, perfumes, even even tampons. Wow. The director of extractions oversees the production of the oils and concentrates with within the plants needed to manufacture such products. That that means running or poss or possibly building a laboratory, managing a staff, and maintaining strict scientific protocols. Not surprisingly, this is a job that requires some skill. Typically, we see a lot of PhD chemists and people coming out of pharmaceutical labs going for these jobs, said Hermes Vest. Fortunately, these positions tend to be well compensated with salaries topping 250K in some states. Well, that is that's insane. And then we have Trimmer, which just says the average uh, national salary for that is 12.25 per hour to 14 per hour. So yeah, if I was gonna start out, we wanna be like a bartender. Yeah, for sure. All right, that's basically the five for that. Yeah, man, I'm definitely supportive. I don't know if people listen to podcast. I'm definitely just supporting Luke Mar Marijuana, especially if you create a lot more jobs and it's safe for people and away from the pharmaceutical companies that you're just killing people. But I know it's not for everybody because not everybody can smoke that stuff too. But there is form of edibles. That's what I'm saying. You like you don't see edibles and tobacco, do you? <laughs> Okay. Uh, it's real coming on the news. It was, uh, let's see. Uh, let's, I want to pick a world news and then I'll pick a entertainment news and then we'll call it a call from there. Let's see. It's a lot of stuff about China. But Egypt. Wait, <laughs> it says uh, 
Egypt authorities investigate X-rated photos on top of Great Pyramid. That was two hours ago as I'm recording this. On top of a pyramid. Let's see. So, the Egypt authorities are investigating after explicit images and video apparently showing two people naked on top of the Great Pyramid of Giza appeared online. The country's minister of Antiquities, Kylie Del Anna, has referred the case to a prosecutor for investigation. State news agencies Aram Online reported. These images and footages were posted in the name of Danish photographer Andreas Havid and appeared to depict a naked man and woman standing intimate poses on top of the 45,000 year old wonder of the world. Oh, Jesus. They got some of the photos here where they're blurring off their nakedness. It looks like they're like other places too, but apparently it doesn't want to be naked for all these. This is a side note. Like, uh, I. I was reading on, or not reading, but I was listening to the podcast. It was the uh, the Yo-Yo podcast with Martina Hunter. It was the Communion podcast. Like some some model got in trouble in like some kind of fashion show in Egypt too, you know, because like Egypt is like a big Muslim uh, country, country, whatever, or place, whatever. I don't know what country. Right now. I'm not I'm the smartest person in the world. But anyway, I noticed no, she, she had like a really dress for her legs, and then now she's getting like sued or something, like prosecuted. Like, she's not supposed to have that feeling in her legs. And she has to, like, can almost go to jail for five years. So, for something like this, I can see how this is big news. This is for, like, for nudity. Because they don't play around like that here. But I'll read the rest of this. It says, some of the videos and pictures have since been taken down. Sky News reported. But at least one image remains on HVID's website. The image shows two unidentified people laying naked on stones towards the peak of the 555 monument. Climbing the ancient pyramids beyond carefully assessed path is forbidden. And, and majority Muslim Egypt consider the site of Giza to be a treasured asset. The whole area is out of the bounds after 5 p.m. and is patrolled by security and local police. Oh, well. Wow. Uh, Giza archaeology director... Uh, I believe I said that right. But he recently said he believed the video was fake because of unexplained lining. Okay. It says, uh, Hedvid, whose website carries other images of new model, models posing on monuments, skyscrapers, and bridges, have yet to respond to HuffPost UK's request for comment. Wow, that is crazy. That's me. That's just, we just crazy people in the world, man. Alright. <clears throat> now we'll get to a, uh, entertainment news and we'll get to the main topic. Hmm. Some of the Grammys. Kanye West. The Akira's problem. Chip Fallon. It's all celebrities for entertainment. Central Park. 
Let's talk about Post Malone. Let's talk about Post Malone because I went to this concert at the Posty Fest, so we'll see what that's about. It says, <clears throat> this is from Omea World Hairline. I can't even pronounce the article you can post this. But it says, Post Malone is garbage and other thoughts of the Grammy nominations. Which I haven't even seen the Grammy nominations. Apparently Gra the Grammys and the Oscars are pretty close together. This is about 14 hours ago. It says on Friday, the Recording Academy announced its nominations in all 84 categories for the Grammy Awards. Not surprising, Kendrick Lamar scored more nominations than anyone else. Drake, Nap6, uh, Brandy Charlie, Cardi B, Lady Gaga, Her, which is each.e.r. Marion Morris and Charles Gambino each pulled in five. Let's be honest, it's a better list than it has been in the past, but there's more room to improve. Because awards are an important thing that everyone should take in very seriously and take in care about to the point where it affects their daily lives and personal music tastes. I took a look at every category in the hundreds of nominations containing theorem. I think I can help. So it's just like whoever made this article is his, his or her aspect. Or it says Kevin Goffey, so I'm going to guess it's a guy. It says the good Kendrick Lamar made a soundtrack to superhero movie to, oh, to a superhero movie, not historically a goldmine of good material, and ended up with one of the best albums of the year. He deserves his nomination and the hopefully armful of trophies he'll take home in February for Black Panther. Just trying to skim through all these. Just take one from each abbreviation. Looks like he's got the good, bad, and ugly platform, I guess. Then it's uh, saying about the bad. It says the Grammys ex uh, expanded its top category, song, album, recorded, and new artists. From five nominees to eight, this is dumb. I can't recall any time where a deserving album was just out of the running. And this move seems more like a way to draw attention to the Grammys by nominating more famous artists than it is to actually make the awards competitive or inclusive. Okay, then we'll go to the ugly, which is, that was a clickbait headline. It was talking about the Post Malone. It's saying, Post Malone is garbage. He continues to be so well, simultaneously being massively popular and now Grammy nominated because he needed that tact onto his ego. <laughs> Lacking rhythm, dimension, and any real talent, he now has four nominations based off a s simple sing-song hook of singing like a rock star over and over and wait, are my ears bleeding? He will likely get an eight-minute segment of the broadcast too, at which point I will switch the channel to, to Seinfeld reruns. Wow. This dude is not like a Post Malone guy. Uh, supporter I guess I went well I mean that's a hook I mean but it's it's not just supposed to in the song it's with 21 Savage as well but I mean there's other artists there I mean the other other artists on here have like some weird songs too but I guess you just hate not post Malone but yeah guys that's it I'm gonna wrap up for the news for that and we're gonna move on to the main topic which we're gonna finish on the uh, the part two of the top 100 anime series from the IGN so we left off from 75 from this past Wednesday I believe whatever it was I told you to come back on the Saturday to, to finish the rest hopefully so we'll see how far we get before you know time passes by uh, so left off here now we're at 74 it's gonna be underdog from the network NBC or that's when it started anyway as original air date was 1964 to 1973 
Uh, this looks like this is a regular card. I, I do, I have, like I said, I'm just going to read all these, and then before I read the article, I'm going to say, you know, my personal opinion on it. Uh, I've have, I have seen this show. Uh, it was a long time ago. It wasn't on NBC, of course. I mean, like, I think it was on Cartoon Network. It was Cartoon Network of Boomerang. It was really old. Uh, don't really remember all of it. I just know it was like a superhero dog. It's pretty much like Superman, but just a dog version. <laughs> uh, it's pretty entertaining, I guess. It's not something I just don't remember all the episodes. I don't remember specific anything part. I know he has like a, uh, a main female dog character that he saves a lot, so... I mean, it's, I mean, that's why I think of it. It's just pretty much like a superhero, Superman version, but in a dog form. And here's the article. It says, though he recently received a big screen adaptation from Spyglass Entertainment and Disney that did little to evoke the feel of the original cartoon, the super-powered underdog remains near and dear to the hearts of many a kid who caught his adventures in the Treacherous minutes before having to leave for school in the morning way back in the day, debuting all the way back in 1964 and running for some 124 episodes. Wow. The series detailed the adventures of a mild-mannered shoeshine dog. Oh, yeah. I remember that. He, yeah, he had like a you know side business job too, just like Superman. Uh, but appropriately uh, enough named Shoeshine Boy, who we needed, would jump into a phone booth and transform into the other Superman. Uh, Superman character of the title. Typically, he was called upon to battle criminals with names like Simon Bar Sinister and Riff Raff. Riff Raff? <laughs> That's like that rapper, man. That's funny. Uh, rescuing his canine lady love, Polly Purebred, along the way. Oddly enough, Underdog's power powers were not uh, derived from a yellow sun like Superman's, but rather from an Underdog's super energy pill, which he stole in his ring. There's no need to fear underdog the pill poppers here. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember that. I knew it was like, you know, before I knew it was like, it was kind of copy like Superman, but that's pretty funny that he has to use like pills to get superpowers. It's pretty funny. Drug influence back in the 60s, and late 60s, early 70s. All right, now we go to 73. Mobile suit gun to wing. And I was like, whatever, that other uh, robot show, like this is the one I... I remember watching because this is actually on Cartoon Network. Uh, the original air date was 95 to 96. Uh, the, art, uh, the article saying, We feel that before we give this specific Gundam story, it's due to, due to that we need to point out the popularity and importance of the overall franchise. It is no secret that Japan loves large robot fan, fighting, and Mobile Suit Gundam brought that to the front or forefront of manga and anime in the late 1970s. Since the series... Inception, it has become one of the most profitable animated programs ever from model sets to DVDs. So when we state that Mobile Suit Gundam Wing is our favorite of the series within the masteries, we understand the weight behind that decision. Following the actions of five fighters in the Gundam suits, large robots made for destruction, Gundam Wing is a heavily political, dramatic action anime that is centered around a war between Earth and its surrounding colonies in space. It was spanning 49 episodes, a film, and additional backstory to the main characters. Gundam Wing was so good that even those opposed to anime have to give the show its due credit. Uh, I do like remember this in the show, like bits and pieces, but like this is you know when I even didn't didn't even really know like between cartoons and anime. You know, I just thought it was like regular cartoons, but we all know like you know cartoons, especially just for like America and animes, is basically what Japan makes. So, yeah, uh, I don't really much of the show. I just kind of blur. 
since you know it was 95 96 so it was kind of the early 90s when i was still a kid so i can't really remember the whole concept i just know it was like these space cadets whatever just driving these giant ass robots and you know protecting the galaxy blah 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 so we'll move on to the next ah now this one that i know dexter's laboratory uh network cartoon network original air date 1996 2003 that's number 72 it says originally appearing as shorts on cartoon network's world premiere tunes really i didn't know that later known as what a tunes show now known as the cartoon cartoon show doctor's laboratory introduced the world to his creator uh genity Tretkafisi Scott. I'm butchering the fuck out of that name. But it says who would later become known for his creation: Samurai Jack and Stone Wars, Clone Wars. Oh, okay. Star of the show is Dexter, a young boy in a normal American family who happens to have a thick European accent. That is true. <laughs> a secret laboratory in the intelligence of a mad genius. Dexter's elaborate experiments were often interrupted by his flighty older sister Dee Dee. Who had a knack for getting into his lab despite his best efforts to keep her out. Yeah, that's what I understand. Like, they're just so smart, but yet her sister's not the brightest, I would say. You know, typical blonde. It's pretty funny. But yeah, she always found a way to get in his laboratory, so he ain't really smart to like him in security. <laughs> but anyway, it says, uh, Wild aim at and immediately accessible to children, Dexter's Laboratory was part of a new generation of animated series that played on two levels, simultaneously fun for both kids and adults. The humor often revolved around Dexter and Dee's fights, but also uh, developed into absurd situations, regularly leaving things completely bizarre at the end of an episode, e.g. clones of Dee Dee and Dexter running around, a giant tentacled monster attacking the house, Dexter's lab being destroyed, but everything would be back to normal at the start of the next episode. Yeah, pretty much we're just repeating like nothing happened the previous episode. Yeah, I could see, because, uh, you know, I'll read back what you look at YouTube and stuff like there is I guess kind of like a you know it's both for kids and adults because like there's one episode called uh rumor removal something like that well they, <laughs> it's like an episode where like uh Dee Dee and Dexter they actually have like a separator like good and bad I, I guess and the uh, the good people like they're still in the lab and the, uh, the bad version themselves would like go to Dexter's or Dexter's or Dee Dee's mom and like start cussing at her and shit <laughs> But they had to bleep it out, of course. But that was pretty funny. But that was like the episode they didn't actually uh, put on the TV. All right, now we'll go to the next one. Uh, 71, Johnny Bravo is another one that I knew. This is around the same era as actually uh, Dexter's Laboratory because it's it was also from Cartoon Network and it aired from 1997 to 2004. Around the same time. Wow, that actually lasts longer than uh, Dexter's Laboratory. That's crazy. Which I remember watching uh, Dexter's Laboratory longer than Johnny Bravo. Uh, but it says another byproduct of Cartoon Network world premiere tunes block, aka what the the what a tunes show, which also spawned such a series as Death Laboratory, which we just said. Powerpuff Girls is another one that I've never seen, but we'll see if it actually shows on this list. And Cow Chicken, which is another one that I've seen, but we'll see if it shows on the list. It says Johnny Bravo started as a collection of seven minute shorts. Well, I didn't know that either. Like the old Hannah. Barrera cartoons. The series Tatilio star Johnny Bravo was not so bright man child who talked like Elvis and thought he was God's gift to the ladies, even if he struck out every time. That is true. He often striked bodybuilding poses to show off his physique, was completely full of himself, and was nearly over the top ridiculous. I mean, he, 
that's where this is argo. I mean, he has to, he's in good shape. I mean, he's you know a pretty decent guy, but like he just he just has bad uh I guess personality to people. I mean, he has if he just had a better personality, he'd be good. He's pretty much like that '90s douche. <laughs> but yeah, it says Johnny Bravo the show. Like Johnny Bravo, the character was mindless fun, a show that never tried to be anything more than it was, but was still enjoyable for both kids and adults. The popularity of Johnny Bravo and other cartoon characters uh, from the mid-90s, Dexter, you know, just saying Dexter, the Power Girls, NNA, NNA was also another show I loved, I hope it's on the list, <laughs> helped elevate Cartoon Network beyond a repository of random vintage cartoons and a home for unique original anime programming. All right, now we go to seventy, which is Pokemon. Of course, I know this show. It's anime, and it's not it's network is Cartoon Network, which I mean, uh, let's see how it's originally went to Net Cartoon Network, but you know it's from Japan. But it's its original air date, nineteen ninety seven to present. Still anime that's still going on from this date. Uh, it says, "Don't be afraid to admit that you've watched this show at least once." <laughs> Don't be afraid. I'm not afraid. There's some fuck ton of people in my generation that still plays Pokemon this day. <clears throat> I'm still I'm just planning on getting a Pokemon tattoo actually. Uh, it says despite the many negative associations with the kitty fan base, the show had clever writing and a golden marketing marketing formula designed to spread Nintendo's Pokemon video games into a new lucrative territory. The merchandise spread to every corner of the known miniverse, from movies to TV to comics, even Happy Meal toys. The Pokemon anime, which was only loosely related to the games it was based on, revolved around strange yet lovable creatures with limited, well, <laughs> with limited vocabularies and nearly endless uh, commercialization potential. The premier character was the now iconic and often hilarious Pikachu, but the episodes often revolve around introducing yet another Pokemon that the main character just had to have. Gotta catch them all! Did you hear that, boys and girls? You gotta catch them all. Now you go by, you go by now. <laughs> Yeah, I guess it's like a pretty marketing tool, but I mean, it works then. It's that's why it's still a reason why it's still going on to this day from '97. That's why they're still having these movies and TV shows. I mean, that new movie that's coming out, uh, I think March next year. It's a Detective Pikachu one. Oh, I can't wait for that one. That's gonna be the first first live action Pokemon movie. A lot of people have mixed reviews about it, but I'll still watch it nonetheless. It's like Ryan Reynolds is supposed to voice Pikachu. From Deadpool, it's gonna be hilarious. Now we have 69. Okay, I think it's something sexual, but it says Money Mouse, which uh, I've heard of this show, but not really watched a lot of it. It says origin air date is second dated theatrical shorts. It says, Here I come to save the day, and there's another case where the content of the show, at least in its original, Incarnation as the Mighty Mouse Playhouse it was mostly made up of pre existing theoretical shorts. However, it was on a TV that Mighty Mouse truly became a star as kids became quite fond of the cute little mouse who packed quite a punch. He clobbered villains with Superman type strength and abilities. They're all based on this by Superman. Uh, they were several rivals of the character through the years, including a 1980s series by Rife or Ralph uh, Bashai. Bakshi? That has quite the cult falling and a place in TV uh, controversy history due to an uh, accusation that a scene in which Mighty Mouse snipped a flower actually alluded to cocaine use. Yep, you read that right. Wow. Okay. 
Of course, Mighty Mouse also needs. Well, that was the 80s. <laughs> of course, Mighty Mouse also needs to be singled out for one other reason: the wonderful theme song, which remains as catchy today as ever. And of course, was the inspiration for a famous Andy Kaufman bit. Oh, okay. Hmm. Andy Kaufman. Yeah, I don't really remember much of this show. I mean, I remember bits and pieces of it, but there's nothing I can really tell off of my own opinion about it. So you just have to see it yourself. Uh, this one I can tell you. This <laughs> is a nice, uh, like each one of these I'm reading off, they have like a photo, which you know, you can see in the link. This link is a, uh, or the one that's singing now, 68, it says Pi Pi, original edited, uh, theoretical shorts, which I don't know how it's shorts because I've mentioned watching the show, like on Cartoon Network, I think. But it's funny, it's, it's showing this little image of it, you know, each show, each show I'm reading off, it has a little clip of the, like, a, or a screen image, whatever, of the show, and it has, uh, like Pi Pi, like holding on to, uh, Figure her name. I think it's whatever his girlfriend, whatever it is, like holding onto her ass pretty much as she's like skating. Or they're both skating and he's holding onto her ass. It's pretty funny. But anyway, it's saying uh, today's Pie Pie might be merely seen as the greatest endorsement of one of the most lackluster vegetables of all time, but back in the day, this male formed one eye corn cob pipe smoking sailor was the complete franchise in 1929. Pie Pie appeared as a supporting character in the comic strip Thimble Theater. Was originally a venue for Olive Oyer under his kin. Okay. He quickly stole the hearts of minds of America. Soon the comic strip was focused on him and Olive. Yeah, that's her name. Yeah, her name was Olive. Even dumped her longtime boyfriend, Ham Gravy, to become Pie Pie's main squeeze. Sounds a bit like an old timey uh, Yorko fiascos. It says in 1932, Pie Pie got his own animated series. Which was usually found him in getting uh, pounded to a pulp by uh, no good links until he finally adjusted canned spinach and fought back with superhuman strength. Pie Pie was an icon that spawned movies, lunchboxes, pinball machines, and even his own line of frozen food. Really. And yes, the Pie Pie cartoon did give a much needed shot in the arm to the U.S. spinach industry, which is not only fan fascinating, but might also constitute a high, a high crime, really. And I didn't know it was like that old, but I remember watching it in color, like uh, whenever it came out. I guess in color in the '60s, but I've seen it for a while time. I knew it was about. He's always know the dude like he always uh, borrow money from, or he didn't borrow money, but dudes would borrow money from him. I forgot what his name was, but he was like he's that hamburger guy, or whatever. He's like, oh, gladly, going today, and I'll pay you back Tuesday, whatever. Man, this popcorn, broken skull margaritas, and that's salty, salty, sweet. There's another old one. <clears throat> it's the uh, Pink Panther show. This show was like really weird to me. It's like this. Uh, let's read off and I'll tell you about it. It's the number 67, Network NBC, original air date 1969 to 1976. Saying after a few Pink Panther films had hit the big screen in the 60s, America was treated to a cartoon showcase based on some of the themes and characters from the Black Edwards and Peter Sh Schellers franchise. The Pink Panther show features the bumbling adventures of cartoon inspector uh, Klausai and his peanut butter and garlic sandwich. What the fuck? Loving spinach sidekick uh, Ducks Ducks, I believe. A Jackie Mason expired. Adivart trying to catch a sly red ant, an actual pink panther who lives only to infiltrate his uh, Masioche next door neighbor. 
and a slew of other stories. All of the little cart cartoonettes were accompanied by the sizzling Henry Menchie jazz score from the Fane movies. It was a cool collection of animate emanation that ranged from slapstick to surreal and gave us some wonderful characters to cherish. And let's not forget the most important part. Even though all these animated nuggets were only loosely tied to the films, they were still exponentially better than the Steve Martin remake. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember watching these some, like on, uh, on Cartoon Network or Boomerang. But yeah, I'm, I wasn't really care of this. Like this dude, like the Pink Panther, he like never talks. So I don't know. It's, I don't know what it was like back in those kind of cartoons. Just like the next one that's going to come up that I just saw. For 66, which is Tom and Jerry, which is another one. They, like, those two the characters don't talk either. It's a cat and mouse. What is the original air date? Uh, Send the theoretical storts, which I don't know. I watched this in Cartoon Network, so. It's saying this long live cat and mouse team, or anti team, as the case may be, or yeah, began life courtesy of William Hanna and Joseph Barber for MGM in a series of theoretical shorts back in 1940. Telling the age-old tale of the feline and rodent who quite simply can't get along. Tom and Jerry eventually made its way to TV as as did many of its movie house peers. And there on the small screen, the duo has thrived for generations, continuing to churn out new material to this day. Winners of the Oscar for Best Short Subject seven times. Wow. Yeah, I can see that. Even, you know. Oh, I'll just finish this. It says, Tom and Jerry has nonetheless had their ups and downs over the past 69 years. The dog years of identity between the two in the mid-1970s in particular bringing, brings a tear to the writer's eye, but the franchise as a whole has persevered nonetheless and even inspired plenty of imitators and successors, not the least of which is The Simpsons, Itchy and Scratchy. Yeah. Yeah, the show, yeah. I mean, even if they didn't really talk, but just the way they're like a lot of cartoon vines for them, like dynamite, explosive, like, yeah, they didn't really need like dialogue for them really it was a pretty good show I enjoyed it I recommend it if you haven't seen it alright now we go to 65 Todd McFarlane's Spawn okay don't know about this show let's sip here saying airing on HBO's in the late 90's this short series was a four Oh, it was for adults-only edition of McFarlane's comic book. Unlike the rather cheesy tone down live-action Spawn of 1997, oh, I was saying, oh, I forgot to say this, the network's from HBO, and the original air date is from 97 to 99. But it's saying, <clears throat> this animation series held nothing back in the violence department, making full of its home-on-pay cable. Todd McFarlane himself introduced each episode in a live-action segment in the style of Alfred Hitchcock or Rod Serling. Much like the comic, that animation series followed a man who, upon dying, sold his soul to the devil in order to remain on Earth and see his wife. He was turned into a creature other, others called Spawn, who we learned is expected to lead an invasion to heaven. Hmm. Meanwhile, Spawn is forced to watch his former wife Wanda marry his best friend and have a child with him. Oh man, it's fucked up. The series is an interesting take on the free and will in the old and age. Be careful what you wish for because you might just get it. I was like, this show I haven't seen, but like that looks actually interesting to do. And the image they have is pretty interesting. He looks like he has a big ass red cloak, some shit. It looks pretty pretty interesting. And only for two years, so I guess it didn't last that long, but 
uh, I would try to give it a shot at least. <laughs> so this series helps me as well. Some of these I don't even know, but it looks pretty interesting by myself to watch. Hmm. And now we go to 64, Dungeons and Dragons. Wow, they actually had a show. Uh, it says Network CBS and original air date 1983 to 85. says this is one of the best cartoons ever made. Yes, it still stings one side to know that none of the poor, poor kids ever uh, wound up making it home, but it was sure a lot of fun while it lasted. The final episode was this show, of this show was written but never produced. It's out there, the show where they all make it back to their loving families, but we'll never see it. What? <laughs> they didn't make the show for that? It says, taking its cues from Dungeons & Dragons role-playing game franchise and borrowing a little of the plot from Land of the Lost Dungeons Evolved, or Revolved, around six friends who ho hopped on the Dungeons & Dragons ride at their local carnival and gets transported and stuck in the realm of D&D. Each of them is given a class, and from there on, it is like watching the Breakfast Club fend for their lives and what the natural colonization on television violence claimed was the most violent show on network television. Wow. In one episode, we saw Hank, the ranger's face, melt off. We saw people's get, people get whipped. We saw people die. The show had jealousy and betrayal. The decisions that the kids made held certain consequences. The villains were malicious and cruel. It dealt with the notion of being stranded in a different space-time continuum 20-plus years before Lost Mind You. It was truly a mature soap opera with swords and monsters. So I wasn't really a big DD guy. I never played DD, but I, my roommate, or one of my best friends, uh, roommate, they play DD like every Sunday. So I kind of watch that sometimes. But that's pretty cool to know they had an actual TV show. So but that's pretty sad. They're saying this article, they're saying it's one, actually like one of the violent shows and best shows ever. So I'll have to take a look at that. And now we have to 63 Huckleberry Hound Network NBC, original air date 1985. Okay, well, that's fucked up. <laughs> so much of this article, it says, from the, web, from the website, it says, original air date, 1985 to 1962. So, I don't know if they meant 1962 to 85. So, I guess I got an error for that. I do remember this show, though. I do remember watching on Boomerang. Uh, it's saying, the Huckleberry Hound show is notable for several reasons. First, it is the fact that it introduced more than one animated character who would stand the test of time. Not only the distinctively voiced title character, but also the even more popular Yogi Bear and Boo Boo, who starred in their own animated segments of this series before getting a spinoff of their own. Okay, the other segments of the Huckleberry Hound starring Mice, Pinksy, and Dixie, and Honky Wolf didn't have quite as big as Afterlife, but this is still quite an impressive stable of characters to launch with. And Awning has quickly responded to Huckleberry Hound himself, a blue dog who had quite the fondness for singing, Oh, my darling! Claim time. I do remember that. Huckleberry Hound was also the second series from Hanna Barbera, and that the one that made them a true success, paving the way for many other series that would follow, including the Flintstones and Scooby Doo. Wow, it's even older than them. Wow. The Huckleberry Hound show would go on to make television history as the first animated show to win an Emmy. Oh, yes. Yeah, I do remember that show. And now we go to 62 Dangerous Mouse. This is on uh, Nickelodeon. Short air date, 1981 to 1992. Says not to be confused with Monty Mouse or the music producer of the Safe for a Single Space song name, 
or same name, Danger Mouse, was a British-produced series that featured the title character, a rodent who served as a secret agent, a play on James Bond scenario. The show was once, or was one of the first cartoons from the UK to cross over to America audience acceptance via syndication. In fact, Danger Mouse continues to have a fan following in the U.S. and has maintained a presence on cable television here via A&E and Nick and Knight years after its original run. Sporting an eye patch and a DM logo on his chest, our hero is a great man, or the main the same mouse, fluent in dozens of languages, physically perfect. I mean, it doesn't look physically perfect, but. That was where I was at. Yeah, physically perfect, mentally superior. Danger Mouse is accompanied by his uh, Watson, Urek, or. He's basically he's accompanied by his Hampshire sidekick, Ernest Penfold, voiced by Terry Scott. In his never-ending battle against arch-enemy Baron Silas Greenback and other foes, the show was popular enough, in fact, to lead to a spinoff, which is perhaps better known here in the U.S. as Count Duckula. What the fuck? I don't even know that. <laughs> yeah, I've uh, never seen this show. Didn't really watch uh, Nickelodeon back before the 90s, so I don't know. Didn't know the show. Oh, and speaking about Count Duckula, here it is. <laughs> right under it, 61. It says, uh, Nick, yep, Nickadonian from air date 1988 to 1993. Uh, it says, an article about it, it says, a spinoff of the British cartoon Danger Mouse, Count Duckula's title, character began life as a villain on that comic spy series. The program has gotten the kind of premises you simply must love in the kids' show. Essentially, based on the legend of the vampire, uh, Count yeah, the vampire Count Dracula. Count Dracula is a foul who was once an actual blood sucker, but after an incident, resurrection ritual went airy, involving ketchup rather than blood. <laughs> the good Count arrives once again as a vegetarian vampire. Oh well, so never tearing out the throats for this vamp, but rather a pursuit of fame and fortune was the pursuit of Count Dracula. Uh, <clears throat> much to the chagrin uh, of his faith, and that's. Assistant Igor, who does his best to get his master back to his old vampire ways. Other familiar archetypes show up throughout, such as uh, Duculus Nemesis Dr. Von Goosewing, a Vistan Prince-like narrator, and a variety of supernatural characters leading to much humor for fans of classic horror and record old cartoon fans, too. <laughs> yeah, i never seen this show. This dude looks like this Donald Duck, but green. Okay, we'll go to the, uh, uh, I kind of went, kind of hit myself. All right, number 60, the Chippendale Rescue Rangers. Okay, this show I actually did watch. This was actually pretty fun. Yeah, this is actually when it started in the 90s. I mean, yeah, early 90s when I started watching, uh, Disney Channel, Nickelodeon, Cartoon Network, basically. Uh, it's, <clears throat> yeah, same. Chippendale Rescue Rangers Network, Disney Channel, original air date. 1989 and 1990. Wow, I mean, less than a year. It seemed like it was longer than that. Uh, saying, we're not saying that a catchy theme song guarantees a mission on the list, but it sure helps. <laughs> they did have a catchy theme song. So, Rescue Rangers opening music is catchy and that's stuck in your head for days. Foot tapping sort of way so much so that 15 years since it went off the air, we still hear it. <laughs> it's inclusion on our best ever list in some small part of our way to address this. Special guilty pleasure we have for the show. Part of the Disney afternoon lineup. And now it's just my computer just refreshed for some reason. 
So now I have to go back to it. Wow. That's error. That's computer error for you. Okay, go back to 60. Error. Yeah. Okay, well, some reason. My computer just skipped 60 for some reason. It went from that 61 to 59. Okay, here it is. Oh, that's that was really weird. Yeah, it says uh, it says its seclusion on our best ever list is in some small part of a way to address the special guilty pleasure we have for the show. Part of the Disney afternoon lineup, Chip and Dale did. The best impressions of Indiana Jones and Magnum P.I. respectively solving crimes too small for their full-size police to handle. That's right, chipmunks playing <laughs> CS before there was S or CSI. And in some cases, they made it indie look like regarding Henry Powell's gadget. Monterey Jack and Zipper were on the hand for backup. And then there's the damn song again. Chippendale, Rescue Rangers. Somebody stop us. Actually, don't. We're too busy having fun watching C&D take care of that cat. <laughs> yeah, man. Let's see. That's, that's, is that even worth that, man? Let's, let's find, if we can find the theme song for y'all. Theme song. It's, a, it's really catchy if I remember. I don't even remember it. It's Chippendale Rescue Rangers theme song. It says, uploaded by Jesse Morgan. Uh, not by me. <laughs> 12 years ago. Wow, that tells you how old that is. It's by... Oh, two over two and a half million views, and there's also a high quality one too. But we'll see what the OG sounds like. It's like a minute long, so we'll see. Two minute over time. Oh yeah, I remember this. Kids in the future, I'm never gonna like watch that show again. <laughs> yeah, it's just that trailer they did. Like I just remember some of those episodes. Seniors is only like like it's a, two, a year old, or it's only a year series. So, and now we go to 59 Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends Network NBC original air date 1981 to 1983. Says, let's put aside the 1980s cartoon hotness that was Firestar for a moment. And no, we're not referring to her powers with that remark. <laughs> for uh, for there was something else about this show that has kept it alive in our memories for all these years. Perhaps it was the team aspect, the old Marvel idea of, of giving Spidey some superpower pal pals to play with. The X-Men's Iceman rounded out this team of su Spidey super friends. Or no, I'm saying this team of Spidey friends serving as counterpoint to uh, Firestar's hotness abilities. We are referring to our powers this time. 
quote unquote. Uh, other uh, familiar Marvel faces would show up too: Captain America, Sunfire, Shield, etc. Says which helped to distract our young minds from the strange fact that the group, even Firestar, all live with Aunt May and her uh, anthropomorphic dog. <laughs> Says Miss Lion, the animation was particularly budget for the time, particularly when viewed in this post-spectacular Spider-Man world of ours, but it was fun nonetheless. Okay. Yeah, I didn't watch this show, so I can't tell enough about it. And then we go to 57, Invader Zoom. I did watch this show. I know this is on Nucanolian. The original air date, 2001 to 2002 and 2006. It's saying the Emmy Award-winning Invader Zim of Nucanolium was its tale of a very short alien named, one guess, Zim, from the planet Eric, who escapes from his exile on Food Cortai and lands here doing his best to wipe out Conqueror and otherwise rid the universe of planet Earth. Thing is, Zim isn't exactly the best and brightest and certainly not the tallest of his kind, so his plans are usually undone either by Dip an expert in the otherworldly who is the one of the only people who recognizes him for what he really is or who he is or by Zim's own uh, intertude. The show, which has developed a cult following since its debut in 2001, never fared well in the ratings and was canceled after its first season. Oh, wow. Uh, and it says a partial second season was finally aired five years later. Some 10 more second season episodes were never completed. However, including a two-part final, though some bits and pieces of this segment have been leaked to fans over the years. Yeah, uh, I did watch the show off and on. I mean, I knew the show was very creepy, but I mean, this it has this it has this low-key fan base like underground stuff. But I can see how it got canceled and brought back. I mean, it's it wasn't keen to everybody, but the people who was keen to it, they were like over the wall for this show. But for me personally, I uh, wasn't really. Uh, keen to this show. I knew, I knew he had a retarded robot named Girth, which is pretty funny. He was a pretty funny robot. But uh, I, it, it's not for everybody, but I would say give it a shot. You know, if you like it, you know, give it give it a shot. That's all I can say. Uh, 56, Venture Brothers, Cartoon Network, uh, 2003 to present. Present? I thought it was over. Hmm. Saying, uh, Yet another instant classic from the people's, or people's, <laughs> from the people at Adult Swim, the Venture Brothers takes the well-worn tropes of Johnny Quest and its ilk and adapts from through them the snarkier audiences today. Yeah, that was pretty much how you. It's pretty much like Adult Swim. Yeah, Adult. If you know Adult Swim, it's pretty much Adult Swim's version of Johnny Quest. Uh, saying the brothers of the title are the dim-witted Hank and Dean Venture who. Thanks to their sketchy, hyper-intelligent scientist dad, finds himself in all manner of ventures, along to protect the boys from Doctor Ventures' enemies and from themselves. Sometimes is the muscled secret agent slash bodyguard Brock Sampson, full of pop culture references and off-color humor. The show operates as a sort of postmodern take on the Johnny Quest of yesteryear. The uh, Venture Brothers' revered creators Jason Public and Doc Hammer have said that the show is all about failure. Which may or may not yet, may not, may or not yet be another joke from their pair. But looking at the misadventures of Hank and Dean and the rest, this takes on things uh, sort of fits, doesn't it? <laughs> okay. Yeah, uh, I would recommend this show. I mean, if you like, if you think you think of like an adult version of Johnny Quest, 
I would try this out. I mean, considering it started from 03 to present, yeah, it's definitely something to check out. And then we have 55, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I'm guessing this is the animated series. Uh, network is syndicated, original air date 1997 to 1996. I mean, and it starts this article. As I'm reading this article now, I know, uh, like, Nick and Nolan picked up another Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles series. I mean, it doesn't look like this, of course, but I know it's still going on. Uh, it says they are the world's most fearsome fighting team. They are heroes in a half shell and they're green. And do you know what? When the evil shredder attacks, these turtle boys don't cut him no slack. Welcome to the world of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It says following the adventures of four muted, mutated turtles that were taught by a martial arts trained rat, the radical splitter. Leonardo, Donatello, Raphael, and uh, Mazzatello kept the streets of New York safe from Shredder's Foot Clan. As amazingly prospectors as the idea, Kevin Eastman and Peter Lard's comic book was adapted into the this fun series that hypnotized a generation to buying toys and taking comfort lessons. While it may not be as faithful to the source material as other t TMT cartoons, and the animation may not be the same quality as some of the other more recent adaptations, like I was saying earlier. Hell, if any of the other series made as large of a dent on pop culture as many of the, of the lives of us editors here at IGN as the 1987 animated programs, plus, how can we not give the nod to the series that created Crane, the talking brain house in a giant man suit? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, I definitely, if you've never seen Kingdom of Turtles at all, like the movies or OG movies, even like the new movies, I definitely give this series a shot. I mean, it's pretty entertaining for these Ninja Turtles. Another drink. I'll find it entertaining. And we go to uh, 54. Oh, I was getting, like, you know, I was thinking about the hour. I'm thinking, this is probably going to have to be a four-part series, guys. <laughs> I was trying to do it in the two parts, but I think we're going to do this into, like, a four-part series. <clears throat> okay. We're going to 54, Expector Gadget Network, syndicated, original air date, 1983 to 1986. It says, forgive us if we reference yet another theme song, but it seems that the title music for so many of these shows has done much to them. Permanent resonance of our collective physics in the case of this DIC Entertainment produced cartoon. Ha ha ha, we said, DIC, the... Emerson and Mining Adventures of the Cyborg, or was he a full-on robot? So the Spectre Gadget were certainly made all the more exciting by the unforgettable Go Go Gadget Go music thrown in this far superior intellectual abilities of Gadget's niece Penny, the masters of Guy's canine brain, and the villainous and barely glimpsed Dr. Claw and his mad cat, or his abbreviated M.A.D. <laughs> and untold hours of afternoon TV addiction were to be had. That Maxwell and Smart himself, Don Adams, lent his voice to the title character, a fat a fact we as kids were probably not even aware of on a conscious level. Well that was just icing on the bumbling cyborg detective cake, wasn't it? <laughs> uh didn't watch the uh I, I see a pieces of it. I've seen it on TV before, didn't watch like, you know, a whole series or whatnot, but I have seen the movies. The live action movies, I recommend the movies as well. But I mean, uh if you've seen the movies, I would Guest recommend this the show. I mean, it's kind of based off of that. I don't know. If anything, just watch the movies. There's two movies of it. 
And then we have Fitness 3, Frankazoid. Oh yeah, I do, I have seen this show. This is on the WB network, the Warner Bros. network. I, I'm guess, that's what it, Warner Bros. Network, I think, actually, they still had an actual network of their own. I don't think they used to have a network anymore. But it says, the original air date was 95 to 97. It says, co-created by Bruce Timm, Paul Dini, both of Batman, the animated series fame, and Steven Spielberg, the movie The Blockbuster Fame, Freakazoid, was a very fun spoof of the superhero genre. The show's title character is a maniac, out-of-control superhero who's the secret alter ego of geeky teenager uh, Dexter Douglas. Okay. Freakazoid, who would appear when Dexter would say freak out and go away when he said freak in. Had a wide range of powers, including strength, speed, endurance, and ability to assume the form of electricity. He was, however, very easily distracted and often not interested in being a superhero. Each episode of Freakazoid would meet up with a ridiculous villain such as a giant brain-headed man called the Lobe, <laughs> a blue caveman named Cave Guy, with a voice like Gilgan's Island uh, Thurstone Hobbit III, a former model stuck in a uh, Joni pose named Arms Ikomio, and an eye-patch villain named uh, Armando Cortez, voiced by the imitatable Ricardo uh, Matalban. Uh, I remember the show briefly, I can't remember everything much about this. I mean, I guess it's like a normal. I think he's like a high school student, and then he would just go freaking freak out, like I said, to turn to a weird, crazy cocaine fused <laughs> superhero. I don't know. Uh, I would have to go back and watch this, but I don't remember anything bad about it. I guess it's pretty like stupid humor. So uh, you can go try for yourself and see how you like it. Uh. Let me go to 52, Galaxy High, which is a show that I have no idea about. It says, Network is CBS, original air date, 1986. So, yeah, don't know about the show at all. But going from this uh, picture here, I guess it is from a high school era, high school theme thing. Uh, it says, this show definitely falls under the cult heading. It actually didn't run very long, and many don't remember it at all, like myself, because I don't remember this. <laughs> But those who do have fond memories, the story of two human teenagers brought to an intergalactic high school. Yeah, see, I got nailed on the head. It says, uh, Galaxy High was developed by Chris Columbus, the Goonies and Gremlins writer, who would go on to direct films like Home Alone and the first two Harry Potters. Okay. Well, uh, certainly a show of its time in terms of its low animated quality. There was a lot of appealing aspect of the series. It's got an engaging wish fulfillment concept going to school in outer space with flying cars and crazy aliens everywhere. Uh, an impressive character design, not to mention the sheer number of creatures the series portrayed. There are also some amusingly dark moments snuck in, such as a scene in which Lee character Dolly smashes a flight between his hands, only to be told that the flight was a fellow student. <laughs> of course. So he just killed a student, basically. Okay. Now we'll go to 51, which is going to be Anime Death Note, which I have watched this show, and I do recommend this show. This is like one of the most, or pretty much first, like, uh, not like, I would say, f f I don't know, favorite, I don't know if we just say f favorite favoritism uh, anime. I don't know what you call it, like, like really famous anime, you know, kind of like Dragon Ball Z and stuff, like Shonen anime. Uh... I actually didn't watch this on Cartoon Network. I actually watched this from a buddy's house. He actually gave me the, or he had the DVD of this. I think like the, 
Yeah, pretty much the whole. I mean, the Arizona Red is 06 to 07, so I just watched it on this DVD thing, and I just watched it this house like one night, and it's it's pretty good, man. I'm taking a sip here. It's definitely a dark story. Uh, it says while there are plenty of anime programs on our list, Death Note is most recent, just finishing up its animation run in the U.S. Okay, that's, I don't say I was finished up because this is 07. But anyway, it says this series is based on the manga created by writer uh, Tsushima Obia and illustrator Takshi Ubata. Gaining momentum immediately, this show was an instant hit with the anime audience due to the smart story, interesting characters, and a premise that is just odd enough to separate itself from other shows in its genre. It says, propelled by its two main characters, Death Note moves from episode to episode, keeping us at the edge of our seat, wondering whether the ultimate detective, L, can fact take down the murderous Kira, the series' main character, Light. Urogama with plenty of surprises, including one massive bombshell halfway through the series. We are left wondering if it will take to stop the brilliant and evil light Urogama. A note to those who haven't seen or read the series, avoid spoilers and Devna will blow you away. Yeah, it's definitely definitely an anime that I do recommend. It's definitely an intellect story. So, in between that kind of thing, I definitely recommend this one. And then, the last one we're going to stop for the day. And we're going to be at 50. We're going to talk about Super Friends. Network ABC, original air date 1973 to 1986. It says, Amazing Hanna-Banera Cheese Fest. That was made up most of the uh, Super Friends run. It was no less a wonderful thing back in the mid to late 70s. Here we had not just Batman and Robin, of course, but also Superman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, and uh, Wendy Marvin, and Wonder Dog. Or, yeah, Wonder Dog. So, yeah, like we said, there was cheese, but this was not just one of the earliest film creations of the Justice League serving to entice us with the possibility of what these characters could be like together on the screen. But as the series progressed through its many permutations over the next 13 years, more and more characters from the DC Universe were introduced, not the least of which was the uh, villainous League of Doom, uh, making their first appearance here by featuring a baker's dozen of familiar comic book baddies. Eventually, the series took on various uh, secondary titles, as in the last two seasons with the Monarchers, the legendary superpowers show, and finally, the superpower teams, Galactic Guardians, where the cosmic evil dude called Dark Sid showed up and things actually got kind of well dark story-wise. Even Batman's origin story was told here, which is certainly light years away from the content of the old Wendy and Marvin stories. Says, but perhaps the best part of the Superman's cartoon was it introduced the world to the Wonder Twins, which in turn has given us the never-ending joke about the form of the bucket of water in the shape of Gomfer. Those Swim had a lot of fun with these two with the series and shorts in 2002. Yeah, I'm sure they did. But alright guys, we're going here in the hour. Uh, I guess I'm going to make a part of three. I guess I like it seems like every part is going to be like 25 of these. So, I mean, that's good for a four-part series. So, I will try to get these uh, last few parts down next week. So, you know, as I said, I do it like once a week. So, I may I may do this the other two in, in one week like I did this week. Or I actually may just spread out the next two weeks. To see how uh, my time frame goes. But yeah, guys, this is the uh, part two of the top 100 anime series. This is episode 16. Be sure to uh, check my uh, plugs down below. You can check out my YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, 
all that jazz. And uh, if you want to support us, the podcast, you can support us on the uh, the PayPal and the Cash App. It's also in the description below. You can also be sure to give us some uh, far-star ratings. That helps the podcast a lot. Be sure to subscribe to wherever you're listening to, either from iTunes or Google Play. And until next time, guys, we'll see you next week on Topics of the Pod. Peace.